Welcome to Digest and Invest, the podcast from eToro that brings you the top financial stories and discusses their effects on the markets. This podcast is for educational purposes and should not be taken as investment advice. Make sure you understand the risks involved in trading before committing any capital and never risk more than you're prepared to lose. Past performance is not an indication of future results. And now onto the podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Dylan Holman and joining me is seasoned trader Henry Ward, who has over 10 years in the markets. Hello, everyone. What's the crack? The podcast is a simple format, which will see us talking about the top three financial stories in the news and then analysing how that affects the markets. This week, we're looking at gold, mining and the pharmaceutical industry. But before that, Henry, how have you found the week? Well, Dylan, the week has been pretty good. We talked about oil on one of our previous podcasts. And over the last week, oil has risen about 28%. It's gone from $25 a barrel up to 32, which is, is nice to see. Now, we also talked about crypto on the last webinar, and crypto hasn't really moved. We've had uh, the halving happen, and that one has been pretty sluggish. It, hasn't, it has failed to break the 10,000 mark. Now, the NASDAQ has slowly risen and broken the last high on the 12th of May, which is the US market. But closer to home, the European market and the likes of the FTSE have been pretty flat since the the 26th of March. So the outlook on the markets is pretty decent if you're looking at oil or the likes of NASDAQ. But with the likes of crypto and the UK 100, the FTSE or the French CAC or the German DAX, it's all been pretty flat out there. With crypto, we obviously had the Bitcoin halvening uh, last week. So why don't you think that there was the, um, the price change that we were all expecting? Well, the, the thing with the price change that everyone has been, been expecting is that people have been expecting this for the last six months. So what happens is, is people will jump in and invest a week or a month beforehand when it's nice and low, expecting it to continually rise. So we haven't had the same type of bullish movement on this halving as on the last one. And one, because we don't have the same demand as we had on the previous halvings. And that is literally it. It's down to supply and demand. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Right, let's get started with topic one then, which is gold. Gold prices have soared this year, and some experts think that they could eventually pass the all-time high, which is around $1,900 an ounce. Having seen the prices dip um, along with the rest of the markets in March, we've seen gold over the last few weeks come back to around $1,750, which is near, actually, to an eight-year high. So why is gold seen as a safe haven for investors? It, it comes down to gold was one of the first instruments that we used to to buy and sell goods. We used to we used to barter, Dylan. If you had a goat and I had a pig and I wanted goat's milk and I wanted a, a constant supply, I would barter our animal and if they weighed up, then we'd do a straight swap. But if they weren't a straight swap, as we went on in time, then gold was used as a filler, as a currency. So what we would do is I would take the goat off your hands and then I would give you some gold to help with the way up the cost of each of them. Now, as we continue going, fiat then come in. And then when fiat came in, then gold was put in the Federal Reserve just in the case that fiat actually didn't work out, that it didn't happen and it wasn't very good. So that's why gold is always seen as a safe haven because it was put in the Federal Reserve. We At one time, we kept the same amount of gold in the Federal Reserve as there was money out there. You mentioned how fiat currencies were backed by gold in central reserves. However, I think there's a little bit of a misconception at the moment because that's actually no longer the case, is it? No, that's not, that, that is no longer the case because unfortunately with the likes of quantum easing, with the crash, 
the dot dot com bubble burst. Then you had the housing crash. Then you have had the what was it the Corona crash, I suppose. Um, and what happens is quantitative easing comes in. So which means that uh, people, the countries are pumping more money into into the market. So they're printing more money to actually push into the market, which theoretically speaking, they're actually diluting each of these currencies. Whereas gold is a finite or very, very hard to extract from the ground. So it, it's one of these things that there is a limited resource, whereas money, we can print and print and print. So you have that thing of scarcity with gold. And that's why people will always revert back to it because at one time we will run out of gold. Have there been similarities with gold about how the markets have reacted these last couple of weeks or months compared to other global crises? I'm thinking, you know, the Great Depression, the dot-com bubble, the global financial crisis in 2008. Yeah, well, absolutely. Because once, so dollar is the biggest currency in, in the world. So if dollar starts to weaken and people will generally, there's generally two safe havens. One is the Japanese yen and the other is gold. And it, it comes down to one or the other. Now, the thing is with the likes of the, the housing crisis in 2008, that affected everyone across the world. So which means every currency dropped. But then the safe haven naturally would have been gold. So yes, all of these, all of these big crashes will have a very similar type of structure that all of a sudden gold would have potentially spiked. People would have physically got the gold and put it under the beds. Why? Because there is safety in a tangible object. I can't imagine to have too many bars of gold stuck on your bed, Dylan, but... <laughs> I would love that to be my mattress, but <laughs> not quite at the moment. <laughs> yeah, so yes, the answer is yes. This, this happens. The markets rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. It, it does the same thing over and over. All we have to do is have the arrows in our quiver to make sure that we can monetize when this happens again. But the problem is, is people are so used to working nine to five that they have no nest egg they're saved up. That once these um, crashes or these depressions or stuff like that happens, they can't monetize it. And that's, that's one of the, the nine things about these markets because it repeats itself over and over again. Is it known who the biggest buyers of gold is around the world? You mentioned that a lot of the currencies are obviously backed by it, at least originally were. So does that mean that with the US being kind of the global currency, they are the biggest buyer of gold and the biggest holder? Yes, Dylan, you're absolutely correct. And the biggest buyers of, of the gold would be the likes of the countries. You have huge disparity between the amount of gold that each of these countries will own. And we have the likes of the US that is number one. So it has 8,100 tons of gold. Germany, 3,000. Italy, 2,000. France, 2,000. Russia, 2,000. And then at the bottom of the top 10, we have Netherlands with 613 tons. So the so US are ma- massively ahead of everyone. Absolutely. And, and rightly so. Why? Because they have the biggest currency in the world. So you would um, expect that they will have enough gold there to some extent cover what's out there, but not not 100%, but they will have some sort of reserve there that if all of a sudden there's a global pandemic and everyone is dying and paper money is not used anymore, that cold, hard, tangible of, of gold is, is cannot be beaten. And that's one of the things that we have here. And if we look a little, a little further into this, is since 2013, 
to 17, we actually had a decline in the amount of gold that was being bought up. But from 18 onwards, we have seen the amount of gold bullion that's actually been bought up double to triple over the last two or three years. And that comes down to the global economics, the, the stock market overextended, and just the way the, the, the war is going on, potentially between trade wars, they're looking to find, they're trying to find a safety net that if, that if anything happens in the future, that they can go back to the likes of gold. But yes, it is a finite gold metal. So it is one of those things that we will always, always use for whether it's to make people happy with presents or whether we'll use it as something to buy and sell products. So yes, it is. So what are some of the potential risks for gold then? Now, one of the big potential risks with gold is, is that the likes of dollar and the economies continually get stronger, which means then that investors will look at it as a better way to invest in stocks, cryptocurrencies, ETFs, stuff like that. So which means then they won't be physically going out and buying. What we find is scared money moves in the same direction. And when I say scared money, I mean money likes crashes, the likes of Great Depressions. People go, oh, I need a nest egg. I need something. And if, for instance, that like the, the global crash there in 2008 with the banks, do people really trust banks anymore? Not massively. So that's why gold will always have its value in scared times. Now, in between those times when things are going well, you generally slow uh, see a sell-off on gold because people then liquidate that asset and then go into other assets. So yes, that's when you will see a decline in gold. But when scared money starts moving, it generally moves into gold. Yeah, that will make sense, which is why we've seen on the platform that number of investors moving into gold is at a yearly high. So I'm sure that's going to increase further um, yeah. as the weeks go on. So yesterday, yesterday we saw on, on the platform hitting a high of 17.63. So this is this is a high of, of nearly eight years. So it actually beat the high that we had a couple of months ago. So there is still huge demand for this. But one of the things people need to be aware of, though, is it overvalued at the moment? If it gets to that 1900, is that, is that the top? That where we will start to see people go, no, it's now. The cost of that is too much for me. So just be aware, we have to make sure we're getting in at an area where gold is value for money. Okay, great. So let's move on to topic two now, which is the mining industry, which is starting to have a bit of a kickback to life with uh, mines reopening around the world. So companies such as Anglo-American, which is the largest producer of platinum, um, they actually also own De Beers, the world's largest diamond producer. So they've seen their share price jump over uh, 50% since mid-March. So when people are looking at um, the mining industry, what should they be looking for? What, what sort of evaluation points? The first place I start anywhere is technically so have a look at the charts and if we look at the chart itself we have seen a 50% rebound on the likes of Anglo-American which means then that it has grown from the low up 50% so that means then anyone who invested at the bottom of the coronavirus they have had a really good return on investment. But if you're getting into the market now, so if you're really listening to this podcast and you're going, oh, that actually may be something I need to look at, there is still 40% upside to just reach the highs of 2020. So that is, that is something that I would massively look into. But the first thing anyone should look into outside of technical is look at longevity in reserves. So that is that is one of the main things with the likes of these mining companies. And how much of a reserve of the material that they're mining have they in store? 
So if for any reason that they hit a, a patch of rock and couldn't get through it or the, the mine went dry, how much in reserve have they got so they can keep up with supply and demands while they're actually exploring for a new one? And that's, that's something that's massive. And that, that also works for gold as well. So that's, that's massive. And I suppose the second one is stable political region. That is, that is really, really important as well. So make sure that the region is quite stable, that the mine is in. So when you invest in it, that you can stay invested for three or four years. Yeah, I guess with oil um, in particular, we are always talking about how the price of oil is affected by government. So is this similar then in the mining industry? Yes, it is, but in a different way. There's less government interference. Why? Because they make so much money from it. But with the likes of this, one would be the the jobs in the local areas, because generally we find these in the likes of Africa and places like that where they are not first world countries. So that's generally where we get a lot of these mines from. So yes, the government will want the companies to be there, but because the government wants them to be there, the companies are like Anglo or like Rio Tinto, a place like that, they can actually demand what they want. Why? Because they're employing thousands of people in that area. And that area is generating some money. Now, the second thing is, is really, really important is a focus on stable political regions. Whereas if you have one region that are making money from diamonds and then the other region are not, then the two will end up going to war. They will want to cut up the pie which means then that the likes of those companies then have to pull out of that region. And that is something that happens quite regularly. This happens across the world where then you have then countries will start fighting over the money that's coming from there because money is scarce in those regions. So yes, but in a different way. And is the mining industry an investment opportunity that you're looking at? Yeah, about six months ago, I was in um, the likes of Rio Tinto. So I was in the likes of Rio Tinto and I was in it for about four months till I hit my take profit. And then from there, and with the aid of coronavirus, then it massively, massively dropped down. But when we look at the likes of Anglo-American and the likes of Rio Tinto, from a technical standpoint, their charts are beautiful. They've just been getting higher and higher and higher and higher. Now, when I talked about the likes of the COVID-19, whatever's going on with that, that flash crash happened you're getting the likes of these companies at pennies on the dollar at the minute. So once production starts up, once everyone starts moving around again, the likes of these, yes, they will grow again. So once you ask me, is there, is there a good potential investment in the likes of these? Yes, and I have been invested in these previously. And because they're trending nicely, I follow technical analysis, but I also make sure that the two points that were earlier in the podcast that I look into both those points and make sure that it's not going to be affected by politics. And we all know when politics get involved, anything can happen. Just look at Brexit. Okay, great. So lastly, we have topic three, which is one of the most written about sectors at the moment, and that's the pharmaceutical industry. So share prices have generally held up pretty well over the last few months, but there's actually been quite a few instances such as AstraZeneca, which have actually uh, exceeded expectations as they rush to fight against COVID-19. So what are the key things, Henry, that you're looking at when analysing the pharma opportunities? Well, see, this is a very simple area to actually analyse. Why is because first thing we have to look into is make sure and find out how much money the governments have actually given these companies. We are at a point where these, all, these, all these 
pharmaceutical companies have got hundreds of millions of pounds off each government to try and guess, get one of those vaccines. So how, so how would you actually find out that information? Is that just literally a, a case of Googling or would that show yeah, up in the balance sheets? Fr- from a very, very quick Google search, it's if you watch Bloomberg um, around the time, you, it actually had a table of the top 10 people who have received money, whether it was for ventilators, whether it was for equipment, whether it was for a vaccine, whether it was for research. So there's about five or six different sectors that they all got different types of money, different amounts of money. And off the top of my head, one of the biggest ones that got a cast injection was Johnson Johnson and Gilead. Now, I'm not sure about AstraZeneca, but if we have a look at it, we can see that it's now gone on from strength to strength, which means it has probably got a, a government in cash injection somewhere along the line, or it's actually pretty far down the line with um, a vaccination. But when we look into the research there, we just have to look at one, what is the competitors doing? What does it compare to the competitors? Is it massively overextended compared to all the, the rest in the market? Or is it just five or 10% above it? So that's the first thing. And then you go into it and why it's, why it's more advanced than all the rest of them. And there's probably a good reason for it. Secondly, is have a look at how much the government's invested. Guess one or two of those, ones that you like, and then you delve into it much, much deeper and see where is their projected roadmap for the actual vaccination. So big question then, which of the pharma companies are you actually keeping an eye on? Well, for me, it's, it's Johnson & Johnson. So not only is it a big pharma, it also, it also retail clients. It also, every single day of the week, you will see Johnson & Johnson's products everywhere. You, we all use them, whether it's cleaning, whether it's shampoo, whether it's baby oil. So for me, that's the one that has, has more upside. But only time will tell. It'd be interesting because whatever a pharma company does find the vaccination, what charge are they actually going to put on that? that pill or tablet or whatever it happens, whatever form it happens to be in. Because I know um, with Gilead Sciences uh, in 2013, they had a, a really bad reputational issue when they were charging about $1,000 for its hepatitis C cure. So how much does reputational issues factor into your evaluation of a company? Zero, Dylan. <laughs> zero. Absolutely zero. It's about ROI. And just in case you don't know that, it's return on investment. You know what I mean? So that's, that's, what, it's, that's what it's down, down to, ROI. So I could not care less what company has what reputation as long as they can grow my investment. That is the key thing. It all comes down to hardcore cash. But there are a couple of, there's a couple of outstanding factors we have. Oh, a lot of these companies have taken money off the government. Now, that will also mean that there are strings attached. Every one of those monies will have terms and additions involved in them. Now, that will also come down to how much each of these companies will be charging per vaccination. So it depends on how much money you've received of the government, what the T's and C's are like, and which one has, has come out with, with the best of both worlds, which means that your mass production are here, but then you can sell it to the members of the public at a, at a different price. So it also comes down to that, which one has had the, the, the looser T's and C's on their, on their money that they receive from the government. And that's going to be a big factor on this. 
Yeah, you, just in your previous answer, you talked about how ROI is everything to you. However, there has been a big trend over the last couple of years about ethical investing and whether that is the future. And so there are obviously some investors who are keeping an eye on these sorts of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like we talked about on one of the other webinars, we talked about solar energy, wind energy, wave energy, stuff like that. So yes, there are people out there at the minute who are trying to do good for the environment, do good for the world. But when you talk about these big conglomerate companies, they might be have a big, huge area where they have an R&D on trying to find ethical ways. But that's probably only one to 5% of the company. The other 95% of these big global companies, are their carbon footprint is, is, off the, is off the chart. So yes, each company is doing their little bit or seem to be doing their little bit, but there are opportunities out there for companies that are ethical and some of those will return huge money. For myself, I'm invested in Beyond Meat, which is a vegan burger. Now, I no, love you my certainly meats. Are, yeah, I was going to say, you certainly are not vegan. <laughs> <laughs> I do I do love my meat. I actually haven't tried one yet, but I will eventually get around to it. So yes, we all sort of do our research, but it's once you get an ethical company and then you see the potential upside on it, if the two of those marry up, then absolutely. But remember, we're not just getting into it because we want to be ethical. We're also looking for that return on investment. And if you can get one that has the best of both worlds, happy days. Great. Well, that wraps up our three topics for this week's podcast. But before we end um, the show, are there any other sectors that listeners should be keeping an eye on? Yes, the tech sector. That is outperforming everyone hand over fist. It is one of these ones that every investor should have the one of the big five. So the likes of the Apples, Microsoft, the Netflix, the Googles of this world in their portfolio. So yes, there is loads of other stocks out there, but if you're a savvy investor, you have to have some sort of tech investments in your portfolio. Okay, well, thanks very much for that. That's it for this week's podcast. We hope you've all enjoyed listening. If you want to learn more about these three topics, there are actually specific articles on the Toro blog about the pharma, gold, and mining industries. And also you can join Henry for his market update webinar, which takes place every Tuesday afternoon. Henry, how, how do they find out about that one? Well, if you go to the eToro Trading School, we are probably one of the highest ranking ones there on the likes of the web searches. So it's very, very easy to find. Now, when you go onto my page, you will see that there's a four section subheadings. So you have course information, which just tells everyone what each of the headings are. Then you have learn, which means I have um, guides to how to trade Forex, stocks, indices, commodities. We have the likes of little videos. And there's blogs there for anyone to read about uh, the top 20 picks for 2020, the top five picks for Q1, then Q2, so on and so forth. So there's loads of information there. But if you go on to the register section, you can actually see I run courses every two weeks. And my next course is a three-part course, starts on Monday. And then if you scroll down a little further, you have my trading days. Now, obviously with COVID-19 at the minute, those trading days are not in-house anymore. So we're just doing it online. And then if you scroll down a little further, every Tuesday is my market watch list. So this is where I'm going through the markets. I'm talking about what's hot, what's not. And then I'm actually opening it up for the last half an hour to the members of the public who are online with us. And they are asking me, Henry, so can you have a look at this? Or Henry, 
I'm looking to invest in here. Can you actually pull it up in a chart and, and give your opinion on it or, or what's happening? Or is there any news that we should be looking out for? So once a fourth. So it's one of these webinars that's very educational. And it's not that I have a set topic. It's literally you guys dictate what we go through, whether it's crypto, FX, stocks, indices, ETFs, or you all want to talk about the weather. <laughs> that's completely up to you guys. Okay, great. Well, we hope everyone signs up for that. They are really educational. Great to see all the stories actually plotted out on the charts and discussed um, further. So thanks a lot, Henry, for that. And um, yeah, we hope you've all enjoyed the podcast. Have a lovely day. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, visit eToro.com.